0: Cool. All right, hello everyone. This is Evan McCullough with the Seeds on Ground podcast. Our co-host Jacob is currently um, a little busy. Uh, hopefully, he can join us later on today. We have uh, Leslie. It's Contrell, right?
1: Leslie Martin Conwell.
0: Conwell. Okay.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Excellent. Um, well, we're here at the Prophetstown Farm, I guess. Right mm-hmm. in the middle of a uh, Prophetstown State Park. Um, Leslie, can you tell us how you got started here?
1: It's really been interesting for me. Um, With this job came uh, the culmination of a life's work and combining my personal and professional interests. I have a background in commercial apple production. My family had an apple orchard. I've had horses all my life. And by schooling, I'm a museum person and a historian. So when this job opened up in 2015, it was like a dream come true for me because not only could I pursue my passion for history, but my family heritage came into play.
0: That's awesome. So was it also in Indiana, the the apple orchard?
1: Yeah, the apple orchard was just probably about uh, 20, 25 miles from where we're sitting right now in Brookston, Indiana. It was planted in 1923 this farmstead is the 1920s living history here at the farm at prophetstown so it's just been a really natural fit for me so much so that the board approved putting in an heirloom apple orchard that's our new project here at the farm
0: wow that's awesome i personally have like i i must have been 12 years old i started an orchard at my family's property well i tried you know with the you know I was a lot more into it than my parents were so there's only a few trees and only a few trees survived um, but that's that's one of my huge passions is the fruit trees um, got a couple peaches a couple apples and oh yeah that's that's awesome so you guys teach uh, a, a huge variety of classes I was shocked by the variety you guys have I came to know Prophets Town because Jacob Kept on Facebook, I kept on seeing him going to all these events or, or signing up for him or whatever. And there'd be beekeeping and chickens. And I was like, these uh-huh. guys do everything. So when did you guys start doing these classes?
1: Um, we've really been focusing on the homestead uh, classes here in the last four years. The farm itself has been here since 1995. Uh, it's been an interesting fit for us. Um, we do we talk about historic agriculture and a multi-species farm from the 20s. But what's been fascinating is with the recent input, you know, and excitement about local foods and Know Your Farmer uh, and young people in particular, that's our main dem- demographic, wanting to live healthier lives and being more in tune with themselves and agriculture. Uh, The farm has really come into its own. It's been uh, become a very relevant site for young people, which I think is really cool. History being relative, how neat is that? So um, we have, I believe, sixty-six classes and programs this year that we invite everybody to see at prophetstown.org.
0: Wow, that is. That's a lot of classes you guys have, and you have a class later today, right?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I have a big interest in home food preservation. Um, Due to battling cancer several years ago, my interest in my own health was really developed. And so that led naturally to organic foods, raising my own heirloom vegetables, and then preserving them in a way that doesn't utilize a lot of chemicals. Um, We do that here with this class Um, It was interesting, the last canning class that I did, there was nobody under the age of 30, which goes to show you that this interest of of young people is very, very sincere in wanting to take charge. Under
0: the age of 30 or over the age of 30? There
1: was nobody, excuse me, over the age of 30. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for the correction. So... Uh, I just thought that was so cool to have all these young people around the table learning these traditional skills and making it relevant to their current lives.
0: Yeah, that's definitely one of my huge motivations is the health aspect. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And, uh, you know, I'm always, and, it's, and I, I think this is a huge opening market because it is kind of hard to access that stuff. Like to, For me to find grass-fed beef, I have to go out of my way. To, to go get it or right or but I think it's it's definitely you know room for growth in that area um, so why why is it focused around like 1920s
1: that was the original premise behind this farm because Indiana has such a strong background in agriculture and in the 1920s here in Indiana and across the nation, farming was starting to change drastically, uh, going from horsepower to tractors and different farming techniques coming in, uh, more modern machinery. So that's the time that our uh, structures that you see here at the farmstead, the barn, the Sears kid homes that are here, and the outbuildings focus on, uh, just due to that that level of change and electricity coming into the home. and. Uh, just so much change going on. Um, But in terms of the 1920s, farming being relevant today, I think with the multi-species farming that was done in the 20s that we demonstrate here, uh, and you know, agriculture has gone so much to monoculture, just raising one crop, not raising multitudes of crops that people are looking to us and the way we do it here based on earlier Indiana agriculture to learn how to implement that in their own lives in some small way even if that's just in a couple pots on their patio if they don't have any farmland but uh, it's so it's interesting to me how the 1920s are kind of cool again.
0: Yeah definitely yeah I think people get overwhelmed when they start thinking about all of this and want to start changing, but you realize that there's a spectrum. You don't have to grow all your own food or do everything. Exactly. A couple, a couple of potted plants is a, a great start.
1: Yes, and that's, that's one thing that we encourage here is that we want people to know that it's a lot of hard work to, to set up a fully functioning homestead. And we teach people how to do it in little bits and pieces because we know people work for a living and they have families or they travel. Um, For instance, if your main interest is in uh, chickens, we just did Chickens 101. But even if you miss that class, you can come every day from 10 to 5 and staff will be happy to talk to you about raising chickens. Um, Just some little snippet like that. one thing that we see utilized a lot for just that sort of situation is our seed library. Uh, we do have a seed library here, thanks to the donations of several big-name seed companies. And that way, if you live on campus, and you can only grow one pepper plant, but by golly, you learned how to do that yourself, then as you go forward in life, you can apply that lesson and perhaps grow your interest. So we meet people on all whatever level they're on, we meet them to help them hopefully improve their lives using older agricultural techniques.
0: That's that's awesome. And it seems like there there really is a market not just for the products of this sort of healthy agriculture, but also the the learning. Like you guys yes. are selling out a lot of your classes.
1: Yes. It's really been um, awe-inspiring for me um, to see how history is really relevant. And for that, uh, again, these older farming techniques and some of the older farming ideals. uh, So especially we see that in our meat sales. the the concept of humane farming. People are concerned about the humane treatment of farm animals, and rightly so. And I think most modern day farmers take outstanding care of their animals. But if you're looking to do it on a smaller basis and you're concerned about humane treatment, you can come here, you can see how we raise our animals, how they're treated, You can look right into their bedding down area. You can make sure that's clean. You can look at their feed. Uh, You can look at their pastures. Our animals are primarily grass-fed. So um, that is very attractive to people because then when they consume one of those products, they understand what that animal's life was like. So we are open seven days a week. You can't get any more transparent than that, so. Mm
0: yeah that's that's awesome because um you know as someone who wants to start homesteading um growing mm-hmm. our, their own food and and all that it seems that it's to do that full leap like you said there's a lot that goes into a, a full homestead right um it's you know knowing that teaching people can be a viable source of, of income and, mm-hmm. and, and, and career path is because i know it's it's harder than it used to be, you can correct me if that's wrong, to to have a small farm that's financially viable.
1: Correct. Um, It can be very challenging to farm. Now, one interesting trend that I'm seeing, though, is that there are a lot of grants out there uh, now for first-time farmers, where it doesn't matter what your age is, young farmers, uh, folks that have served in the military coming back, that need support in setting up a farming career so I personally find that really really uh, a cool thing that's happening Um, also with the push for more uh, less factory farms more humane animal raising cleaner fruits and vegetables organic there's a lot of grants and um, under that too so i'm really happy to see that these things are being done to support farmers of any age that are looking to improve their health and looking to improve the welfare not only of the animals but also of the land
0: yeah that's i definitely need i know there are plenty of those types of grants i'm from kentucky okay um that that i can look into and that other people can too um and have you heard much about, this is just a, I guess, a random question, The uh-huh. they've recently legalized industrial hemp. Yes. So I think that's a big opportunity for farmers in this area of the country as well.
1: Yes. And also hops is another mm-hmm. one that, um, to my understanding, is very much on the rise. So some of these alternative crops, uh, you know, again, I I think I told you I'm 60 and I I was born and raised in a time when it was turning to monoculture like you only raise corn and beans or you only raise black Angus cattle or whatever and so I'm personally glad to see this branching out of income opportunities for farmers and some of this I think is with the push for local food because I can buy an apple from Washington State but I can guarantee you Because of the time in cold storage and the travel time and the fact to travel that far, they have to breed that apple with a very tough skin that is not good. It's not tasty, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that's why the local foods and there's more of a push for local orchards and local beef and local pork So as we get more people interested in local and more educated about what local offers, um, I'll tell you one interesting thing that we have here is when people see our pork, they go, I didn't know pork was that color.
0: It's not the other white meat, right? (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, it's not supposed to be white meat. When you have pork out on pasture, when they're moving, they've got blood going through their, their muscles and everything else, that meat is going to be more of a dark pink to a light red. So, um, we had to educate people initially about why our pork was different colored, but once they try it, they're like, wow. So, um, it's kind of cool to see consumers of all ages getting educated about why local food is better for the land, the animal, and for you.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, I tell people, I think it's just bringing the awareness to Uh people. And then once, once they like finally think about it, it clicks because I go to the supermarket and I refuse to buy, uh, my, my number one example of this is peaches from the supermarket because if they're, I mean, You know, unless it's like peach season, September, August or Mm -hmm. whatever, it's, uh, you know, you're getting peaches from Argentina and they're hard as a rock. And I, you cannot find one that's going to taste good. Um, But I live, like my property is maybe a mile or two from a peach orchard and I go there during the summer and you could, I mean, you can hardly get down the road without some of your peaches getting bruised. That's why they can't ship them that exactly. far. Exactly. But they are so good that it's just, and it's not the same thing at all.
1: Right, and it, that also brings up the point of easy, eating seasonally as well as locally. And uh, that's, sounds like they're doing some construction up there to start <laughs> that, but... Um, That also brings up the importance of like these home preservation classes because you can capture the taste of that local peach or that local tomato. Um, Supermarket tomatoes, well, people have demanded that their their vegetables, fruit, and produce look perfect. So in order to withstand shipping, um, to meet that consumer demand for perfect fruit, they have bred them with the really tough skins well okay the sacrifice of flavors so if you learn home food preservation and we can teach you that here and certainly give you resources you can capture that local flavor
0: yeah well i guess i'll ask a couple questions about that just because i'm sure it's fresh in your mind as you'll Uh be doing that today is because jacob was he was talking about canning this whole week and how amazing it was and And I was like, can you can meat? And that's what one of my questions was. Oh,
1: yeah. Um, I'm a big meat canner. Um, I like to kind of spread my risk, if you will, when I do home food preservation. Uh, My husband and I have a freezer. But I like to freeze part of my produce and meat, can part of my produce and meat. So that if I have a power failure, I still have my canned food. Some food tastes better, I think, frozen, Mm -hmm. um, preserves better by freezing, some better by drying. Uh, But canning meat is remarkably easy to do. And by, you know, if you can't directly go to a farm and purchase the meat, if you purchase meat, lean meats on special at the grocery, uh, then you can can that and you will have some of the most tender, delicious meat that you can think of.
0: Hmm. How do you, what do you need to do to can meat, like some sort of process, I imagine?
1: It's, to... it's actually the, the really cool thing about home food uh, processing is it's cheap. Um, it's not an intimidating investment at all. Um, meat is uh, considered a low acid food, so it has to be pressure canned but you can go get a pressure canner for anywhere between $60 to $90 that's gonna last you a lifetime. Go get some jars, get the Ball Blue Book canning book for I don't know how much it is now, maybe $10, $12. And you're good, you know, with a funnel. And and, uh, so with the meat, to me it's a very economical thing. Plus you can also use all parts of the animal. That's another important thing uh, for a chicken or even your turkey carcass. Don't throw that away. Put it in a stock pot. Boil it with some carrots, onions, and celery. You can find the recipe online. And can that broth. You know, you will have used those bones. The beef bones, same thing. Um, you know, now I promote safe canning. Don't use your grandparents' recipes because <laughs> varieties have changed. You know, heirloom uh, modern vegetables and fruits tend not to have, they're, they're sweeter, you know, people like a sweeter fruit now and vegetable than they used to, but, um, use all those vegetables, use all that meat.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just want to take this moment to, to plug, like what you said, eating, eating nose to tail or whatever you want to call it oh, yeah. as, uh, the organ meats are just so much more concentrated and all sorts of vitamins and minerals that, I think, you know, we have a sustainability issue. I also think we have a health mm-hmm. crisis and, and that's because people, you know, they don't want to eat the, the liver, possibly one of the healthiest foods you can possibly eat.
1: Right, and we're teaching an organ meats class uh, that this, this year, we'll see how that goes. It's a new class for us, but with that same concept in mind, and, and a lot of people now are interested in bone broth, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the healing um, again, I'm a member of the cancer community being a survivor and for a lot of cancer survivors, the bone broth uh, is quite popular now. Well, it was popular with your grandparents too. Lard is another fascinating thing that we're seeing that um, when I was growing up again, I'm 60. Uh, we were told that natural fats were horrible for you. Butter, oh no, lard, oh, that's the worst thing ever. It's so gratifying to see people realize that artificial fats are horrible, you know? And so now we see especially young people coming in and buying the the pure lard. They're making their own soap with it. Uh, So this has just been a, a wonderful thing to see happen.
0: Yeah, it's great and it's cuz I was um you know I I spent a uh, part of you know a couple of years ago for about a year and a half I was um plant-based, you know, mm-hmm. vegan for environment environmental reasons, but uh you know as my research progressed and it was uh it was pleasant to find out that you know those natural fats really you know they're they're not bad for you at all. They're very healthy and you know, as long as you do it consciously, like you guys are teaching here, raising animals can be environmentally, as long as it's part of the, you know, the ecosystem is part of, part of the plan. It's, uh, it's not a negative whatsoever.
1: No, and, and I think some of the problems that we've gotten into is like overstocking on the land here. And, and you and I all go out in just a few, and, and people can go onto our website and Facebook page and see that our pastures are lush. Uh, they're not overstocked with livestock. Um, we, I, One of my highest compliments in four years I've ever gotten here was from a vegan mm-hmm. who was very anti-meat. But I was so impressed she took the time to come up and tell me that even though she was anti-meat, she appreciated the efforts that what we were doing to take good care of our animals. And our care extends to the fact that our Cattle breeder will come get the cattle and the pigs when it's time to go to the processor so that they do not ride with animals they do not know. They're not afraid. They know the breeder, they know me, and we're right up there till till the end. And they only spend about 15 minutes at the processor. Our processor is this old farm. Um, I wanna do a shout out for them in Colfax, Indiana. They do outstanding humane treatment we trust them with our animals. Um, that's a topic sometimes people don't want to talk about, you know.
0: Yeah, transparency is very important. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, these guys open up their. Uh, it's a small plant. Uh, I wouldn't even call it a plant. It's it's a small facility, and I was impressed that they would let me see where my animals went because if I'm going to invest all this time in their health and welfare. Uh, their physical and mental health that I want them to have as little fear as possible and this old farm answers that need for us we're there with them literally right up to the end and again a shout out to this old farm for that
0: excellent well I want to thank you so much for coming on to the the podcast thanks for having me yeah this is our first like real um, you know professional in the area um, that we've interviewed So I appreciate it a lot, and I'm definitely going to be back um, because you guys have so much that I can learn. So if you want to just tell people the Facebook page and the website.
1: Sure. We'd love to have you come out. Um, If you can't come here physically, follow us. Uh, We're on Facebook under The Farm at Profitstown. Our website is profitstown.org. If you prefer to email, you can email me. Again, my name is Leslie Martin Conwell. I'd be happy to answer you. Um, If you have any questions about homesteading or livestock or chickens, uh, even if you can't come visit us, we're a resource here for you.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. Thank you. All right. See you guys.